Welcome to the 179th edition of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football and the NFL, and our first weekly looks at NBA basketball and college basketball. So with all that content ready to go here on a Pack Tuesday, let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in NCAA football, where Patrick went one and three with his predictions. Moving on to the NFL, Patrick went three and one with his predictions, and Patrick went four and zero oh in his NBA predictions. That brings his weekly record this past week to eight and four combined. That leads him to a five hundred and twenty-seven and three hundred and sixty overall record, a fifty-nine point four percent winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, uh, I-, I need to apologize to myself for completely jinxing everything in football. Uh, I shouldn't have said anything about the fact that I was, I think 14 and two over the last four weeks in college football. Cause now I'm two and six in stating that. So uh, I get, I got what I deserved, but you know what? I'm still, what does that make me 16 and eight over the last six weeks? So I don't really care. Um, still a good record overall. So I'm not really too worried about that uh, in those games. Well, we're going to talk about all of them later, but Alabama beat Ole Miss. That was the only one I predicted correctly. Washington beat Oregon. TCU beat Texas. UCF beat Tulane. And fun fact about all these games, uh, two of them were the higher-ranked team was on the road, and two of them were the lower-ranked team was on the road, and every single road team won in my predictions this weekend, which is incredibly rare. That is why I went one and three, because I pretty much always pick heavily home teams. Um, But especially when the home teams are the higher ranked teams. But, you know, it was just one of those weeks that uh, a lot of teams went down. There were a lot of upsets. It's really hard to do the bottom of the rankings this week, as uh, you might have found when you see how little or just how few others receiving votes um, in the AP poll are like separated from the teams who were actually in the poll at the bottom. I think Oregon State's got like 81 votes or something. And then Cincinnati or someone who's right outside of it, maybe Oklahoma State or uh or maybe Texas, I think, has like 77. So it, it, clearly no one knows how to rank the bottom of the poll. There are no teams that are solidly uh, top 20 in some people's minds and then at the bottom of others and unranked in some others. There are just a lot of teams who are maybe maximum 23rd, 22nd, and minimum unranked, and there are a lot of teams like that. So uh, it, this week was kind of a disaster in college football. Uh, in the NFL, the Vikings beat the Bills 33-30 to 30 in overtime. Uh, this is the least mad I've ever been about losing a 4-0 week in any league because that game was so fun to watch that it's, at a certain point, I stopped really caring if I got the game right. I just wanted that thing to keep going and keep going. And it was it was the best game I've seen since the Bills and the Chiefs. Um, and, you know, I wonder if people will start throwing out that Josh Allen threw that interception at the end of that game. And uh, we talked about the fact that uh, in the Bills and the Chiefs game, he never got the ball in overtime because of the rule. And everybody said if they got the ball, then the Bills would have won. That's why you need to let both teams get the ball. Now, all of a sudden, looking back at it, maybe he wouldn't have scored because this is what he did this year. Although, again, completely different circumstances, worse weather in Buffalo. It was uh, he was also injured throughout the week and was potentially not even playing. Um, So. You know, there are a lot of different circumstances under it. I I hope people don't speculate like that and say that, well, he would have lost to the Chiefs anyway. But 
that game was the game of the was the game of the year last year, that Bills Chiefs game. And so far, the Vikings and Bills are the game of the year this year. Uh, but the Buccaneers beat the Seahawks in Munich with German fans singing country roads in unison at the end of the game. Uh, and Tom Brady got his win on his fourth country. That is not America. However, he's done something that Northwestern foot. He can't do something that Northwestern football does, which is win in Ireland. Uh, the Titans beat Bron- beat the Broncos 17 to 10. And then the 49ers beat the Chargers 22 to 16. And in a relatively boring but close Sunday night football game. Um, and then in the NBA, I got all these four games right. The Celtics beat the Nuggets. The Warriors beat the Cavaliers. The Mavericks beat the Trailblazers. And the 76ers beat the Jazz when the 76ers beat the Jazz, it was part of Joel Embiid's stretch where he scored 101 points in under 24 hours. Uh, and in this game specifically, he had 59 points, uh, 11 rebounds, 8 assists, and 7 blocks. So he almost recorded a quadruple double. He shot 19 of 28 from the field in this game. It was probably the best game I've ever seen someone play. That, that's got to be one of the top stat lines of all time. Nearly a 60-point game with a double-double and pretty close to a quadruple-double. Um, it, it was ridiculous. And also just considering that he was playing the second end of a back-to-back where he had also dropped 42 the night before against the Hawks is just absolutely insane um, for the 76ers. So Joel Embiid had a great game, uh, continues to play great basketball like he has the whole season. And like he did all of last season, maybe this year he'll end up with the MVP just from voter fatigue for voting for Jokic. But, you know, it could go back to Giannis because of that as well. All right. Well, that wraps up our look back at Patrick's uh, weekend predictions for this week. His predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday at 4thand24.com. Let's move on to a quick look back at week 11 action in NCAA football. Patrick, what were the best games of week 11? I will start uh, with that game that I, well, actually a game that I didn't talk about yet. Vanderbilt beat number 24, Kentucky. Uh, I considered putting this on biggest upsets, but when you look at the teams that were on biggest upsets, you know, I just wanted to share the wealth, share the wealth a little bit. This was a closer game. Um, it, It deserved to be in best games because Vanderbilt had a fourth and 11 that was do or die in the game. I think there was, minute and 50 seconds left, something like that. And uh, they converted that fourth and 11 just after Vandy's quarterback missed a receiver wide open in the end zone on a double move the play before he threw it up to the same receiver this time, no double move, but he caught a jump ball right over Kentucky's defender, uh, brought it down to like the eight yard line. Vandy scored Kentucky had no timeouts left. There were like 30 seconds left by the time they scored. Uh, They scored that touchdown. They got their first SEC win since, I think, 2019. Um, They they had 26 losses in a row. I do know that. Um, And, you know, besides Georgetown, Vandy was the only major – Georgetown in basketball, I should say. Vandy was the only major conference team that just could not win a game for so long. I mean, obviously they've won non-conference games, but that SEC streak is just ridiculous. Uh, It it, it really – it's really insane how long it's been since they've won a game. Um, and for them to go do it on the road against Kentucky is especially surprising because they're playing. They were playing a, a guy in Will Levis who's going to go top 10 in the draft, we think, um, and be a top four or five quarterback in that draft next year. So it, it's just crazy considering who they played and and just how bad they've been. But Clark Lee is really building stuff, something really, really good at Vanderbilt. 
um, right now. Uh, four and six, honestly, as dumb as it sounds, four and six in the first year at Vanderbilt is that is a major accomplishment. Um, I mean, you see Michigan's defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, who has drawn up a great scheme for Michigan, brought a defense that has probably less talent than last year, not probably less talent than last year's team and made it better statistically pretty much across the board. And even he got like two wins last year at Vanderbilt and couldn't win an SEC game. So for any coach to break, to come in and win games in the SEC at Vanderbilt is a surprise. Um, And just credit to Vanderbilt for kind of sticking in there, having that resilience and still believing in themselves. Um, But then you had number 25, Washington, playing number six, Oregon, in the battle of the transfer quarterbacks who have magically rejuvenated their throwing arms. Uh, Both these teams have no defense. Uh, Oregon's is especially bad. Washington relies way too much on Michael Penix. But in this game, Washington was able to come out with the road victory, 37 to 34. Uh, The Pac-12 should be grateful to Washington for their past years where they were able to run the table and not choke in the Pac-12 and made the playoff in the first few years of it. But now they've spoiled the Pac-12's chances of making it this year. Uh, it's now just on USC after, well, there's another team that choked their chance, but we'll get we'll get to them in a second. Uh, but Washington now with two losses, or, or already with two losses, and Oregon are now having two losses, including just one in the Pac-12, pretty much eliminates the Pac-12 from playoff contention unless it comes from USC. We'll talk about them later. Um, and then finally, you had number 15, North Carolina, beat Wake Forest 36 to 34. No idea how this team just completely makes every single game close and a nail biter, no matter if it should be or not. Um, They're the hardest team to rank in the country because they are nine and one, but they, they they could pretty easily be like one and nine. They've pretty much played every team close, no matter how good or how bad the team is. Uh, Pitt had lost to Georgia tech earlier this season and Pitt was able to beat Virginia by 30 the week after North Carolina beat them by three. So, you know, this team's just kind of all over the place. Um, They have the loss to Notre Dame on their resume, and that's their worst loss, which honestly, they actually have a real legit playoff resume because Clemson is also in the same exact position where they're nine and one. They look shaky. um, And their only loss is to Notre Dame. They both have that in common. However, one difference is that Drake May has actually played like a Heisman candidate at quarterback for North Carolina. Clemson has issues at quarterback. So frankly, when you really look at it, North Carolina probably has a case to be ranked higher than Clemson. And I wouldn't be surprised if they play each other in the ACC championship game and North Carolina goes out and wins that game. I would not be surprised at all. Uh, I would be surprised if that was enough for them to make the playoff just because of how low they're going to be ranked uh, heading into that game. But there are some scenarios where they could definitely sneak in at the bottom of the playoff. Um, They actually need to rely on Notre Dame probably to beat USC And then A, that makes their one loss look better. And B, that makes uh, USC's resume worse and makes it impossible for a Pac-12 team to get into the playoff. So that would help North Carolina. Uh, They need to root for Notre Dame for the rest of the season for sure. Uh, But for now, they'll just keep having to scrape by and then we'll see if they can win their end of the year rivalry game against NC State, who will, uh, we'll talk about them in a second. All right. Well, let's move on and talk about the biggest upsets. Well, I said we were going to talk about NC State. Three and seven Boston College beat NC State 21 to 20. That's right. NC State was up 17 to seven at the half. Boston College came back, I think actually scored 14 unanswered points after NC State took a 20 to seven lead early in the third and went on the road 
and got a 21 to 20 win over the number 16 team in the country. Um, Wake Forest and NC State look pretty bad after the last few weeks, just all the results that have kind of gone on in the periphery and in their own game against each other. Uh, Wake losing to a fourth string quarterback and then NC State, you we thought, wait, wow, NC State's defense must be really good. Um, and their offense is still good enough with a fourth string quarterback to compete. And then here they go losing to Boston College, who couldn't even beat Rutgers earlier this year. So, uh, look, the ACC continues to be a mess. It's always been a mess. It will never not be a mess. Um, and it just looks like maybe Florida State all along was the third best team in this conference. And they might have taken that mantle for themselves now uh, behind Clemson and North Carolina. And we'll see what happens with them in the rest of the season. But let's move on to another conference that's an even bigger mess. Purdue went on the road and beat number 21, Illinois, the most hot and cold team in the country, the team that played FAU to a two-point game, lost to Syracuse because they got two unsportsman likes on the same play, uh, has now gotten on the road and beaten Illinois, <laughs> um, holding Chase Brown after his Heisman pose in the first quarter, even though he's probably the third best running back in his conference, let alone the number one player in the country. Uh, that's a separate rant. But look, he got held to under 100 yards on, I think, 23 carries. I think he had 23 carries for 98 yards. So Purdue's defense stepped up big time in this game. Illinois is not a passing team at all. So if you can limit Chase Brown like that, you're going to have a very good chance of winning the game. They did win that game, obviously. Um, and now Purdue has the lightest schedule of all time playing at North or sorry, playing at home against Northwestern and at Indiana to end the season. The two worst teams in the conference are left on their schedule. Uh, and they are currently tied atop the big 10 West with Illinois, with Wisconsin or sorry, no, with Iowa and with Minnesota. And they have the tiebreaker over Minnesota and Illinois. So that should be uh, a positive for them. However, if Iowa's the, if it only ends up as a two team tie between Iowa and Purdue, then Iowa would win the conference. But that is the only scenario in which Purdue doesn't have the tiebreaker over the team they're playing. Uh, and Wisconsin as well, but Wisconsin is three and four in conference. So they're probably not going to make it. But that's why I was saying that the Big Ten West is just as much of a mess as the ACC, especially because all of the mess is controlled in one division. Whereas you look at the Big Ten East and it's just Penn State is right behind Michigan and Ohio State serving as a buffer. They're a good team, but not good enough to beat either of those two teams. And then it's just whoever wins Michigan and Ohio State will win the conference. It's as simple as that. Um, that is the scenario. No matter who loses next week, that actually is the scenario. Because even if uh, Ohio State were to lose, I don't even know who they play this weekend. I don't think it's somebody very good. Um, and, and if Michigan were to lose to Illinois, it doesn't matter because they'd still only have one conference loss. And then if they beat Ohio State, then Ohio State would have one conference loss. They'd go to the head-to-head -head tiebreaker and Michigan would have won the game. So this week's results are actually irrelevant for both of those teams in terms of the Big Ten Championship. Probably relevant in terms of the playoff, but I would argue that either of those teams could still get in with a loss um, as long as they beat each other and win the Big Ten Championship game because in that case, Michigan might even rematch with Illinois. Uh, but that's a separate discussion. We'll talk about those teams later. Let's talk about the biggest mess of them all, the Conference of Champions. It's a mess. It's the Conference of Losers, let's be honest. Arizona beat number 12 UCLA 34 to 28. That now means that Oregon, UCLA, and USC all from one loss. Only USC now has one loss left. And uh, UCLA plays the next week. Then USC plays Notre Dame. And then USC has to get through the conference championship game. So three ranked opponents back to back, no matter what. It, it, the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't think there's any way that Washington would uh, 
fall out of the rankings. If Oregon loses to Oregon State, then Oregon State stays ranked, et cetera, et cetera. Utah is going to still be ranked even if they lose to Oregon. And if they lose to Oregon, then Oregon will be in the Pac-12 championship, blah, 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 blah. USC will be playing a ranked team is the point. Uh, and they will get three ranked wins in a row if they're going to make the playoff. That would easily propel them in just because of the strength of schedule at the end of the season. However, uh, now UCLA can play spoiler to USC, knock them out of the conference championship game, and they would be able to knock them out of the playoff. However, they would also completely destroy the Pac-12's chances at the playoff. So thanks a lot, Arizona, for randomly deciding to play well for one week. Uh, it also completes what people are calling the circle of suck in the Pac-12 because uh, now every single team has a point where you can draw a line of transitivity to say that they're better than every other team in the conference now that Arizona has beaten UCLA because Cal has beaten Arizona and Colorado beat Cal for their only conference win, et cetera, et cetera, moves down the chain. And you could you could make the argument that Arizona is better than USC, is better than Washington, is better than Oregon, is better than anybody, just because that's how much of a mess the Pac-12 is. Um, unfortunately for the Pac-12, that is probably going to seal their fate on the playoff. It really just rides on USC. I've said this a bunch of times now, but USC goes undefeated. They make the playoff. USC loses one game. It's over. Um, so that upset by Arizona really changed the landscape of not only just the Pac-12, but also the college football playoff. Yeah, and USC's got a tough uh, remaining schedule with their crosstown rival, then their cross-country rival in Notre Dame. And then if they get through all that and win whatever tiebreakers there are the highest ranked team. I don't know what is in the Pac-12 anymore. They're in the Pac-12 championship game. So uh, doesn't look very likely for the, the Pac-12, but we'll see how things play out over the coming few weeks. Let's move on to your most impressive team of the weekend. I gave it to UCF for beating Tulane because I wasn't quite comfortable putting this in best road wins because it kind of deserves in its own category, deserves to be in its own category. It wasn't really an upset when you consider, uh, you know, Arizona and Boston College <laughs> being some of the teams that are featured in that category for the week um, and probably should have been Vanderbilt too. So I just put UCF here instead. I uh, needed to fill the spot. UCF played a good game, uh, took Tulane to uh, just made them lose at home uh, one by seven. Very good win, 38 to 31 on the road at Tulane. And now they control their destiny for the New Year's Six Bulls. It will be very interesting to see who makes it in the American because it's just a battle between UCF, Tulane, and Cincy. Um, they're all, they all have two losses. They all have one loss in conference. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens there. Uh, whoever wins the conference championship game will be the team that probably claims that New Year's Six Bowl uh, bid for the uh, power, or sorry, for the group of five teams, uh, because I don't really think there's anybody else who's ranked outside of it uh, in Notre Dame's not going to claim that spot either. Um, because they will get a different spot. But UCF, a good win on the road. Uh, solid game that they played against Tulane. Well, speaking of good wins on the road, how about your best road wins? Well, I'll start with number nine, Alabama, who beat number 11 Ole Miss 30 to 24. Uh, this, is, this is a bounce back for Alabama. To be quite honest, they're still the same team that I thought they were. Uh, everybody says that they're two plays away from being undefeated. I like to counter by saying they're three plays away from being five and five. And that is still true. Well, actually, it's even more true because of the fact that this game, that was the scenario that happened. Uh, Ole Miss could have scored the winning touchdown. They didn't convert on that play, but it still stands that they were one play away from losing again. Um, so look, 
Alabama ends up at eight and two after all this mess where they have five games that were decided by pretty much one play. And the fact of the matter is we know who they are. We know how they're evaluated or how they should be evaluated. They're not going to be in the playoff. They shouldn't be in the playoff, but they're a good top of the line SEC team this year. And that's okay. They'll probably roll over whoever they play in a bowl game. Um, but look, it's not a play. They're not a playoff team. And they don't deserve to be, even if they had made those two plays, because of the fact that they're also, again, still five plays away from being five and five. Eight and two is about probably where they should have ended up after all this stuff. Um, you could make the argument that they probably should be nine and one just because Tennessee, just because they missed a field goal at Tennessee. And that was probably the play was most in their control. And then you combine that with the very obvious block or, well, not very obvious, the questionable non-call on a block in the back. Um, at the LSU game. So th- there are things that you can point to and say that they probably were closer to winning the games that they lost than losing the games that they won. But at the same time, it doesn't really matter. They're not going to make the playoff. Let's stop talking about them. They're irrelevant in the, at this point of the season. Uh, you know who is relevant, though? Number four, TCU. Texas is still not back. Uh, delay that one other year. They might be playing in the Alamo Bowl this year, and uh, we'll see what happens there. But TCU is undefeated. They cannot be denied by the playoff anymore. They control their own destiny. They just won their hardest game of the year, arguably, up until whoever they play in the Big 12 championship game, which probably actually could still be Texas. Uh, Probably won't be, but it could be. Um, And it'll be a rematch with somebody because the way the Big 12 works, because, you know, it's not the Big 12. It's the Big 10, pretty much, actually. Sorry, but it is. Um. And, you know, they just play their kind of, they basically play round robin and then the best two teams go to the conference championship game. So they'll have a rematch with whoever um, they will be playing in the, in the big 12 championship game. And obviously they will have beaten whoever it is unless they choke in these last few weeks, but their schedule gets a lot easier. They've played kind of the top dogs already. So TCU should be able to cruise in to the play, not cruise in, but, you know, play a few close games and then, be or maybe even not close games play, play some comfortable games and then make it in the playoff at 12 and 0 um if they can win the big 12 championship game then you have number seven lsu who went on the road beat arkansas 13 to 10 arkansas is a quality team despite the fact that they're only five and five on the season um they the issue here is that lsu did this against a backup quarterback they're really not helping themselves in terms of the playoff uh, if you're going to be the first team to ever make the playoff with two losses, you've got to look pretty impressive in your games. And how awful they looked against Florida State, who still hasn't proven to be a great team. They're only just a good team. And how bad they looked in this game, unable to put a team away that was playing with a third with their backup quarterback and then bench their backup quarterback to go to their third string instead. This game just shouldn't have been close. And it was way too close, uh, for, not only for comfort, but just for the eye test. LSU did not look good in this game but I'm still giving them credit for a road win because it was still a good win on the road against a good team, but it's not, it's not a playoff quality win. And that is what they need for the rest of the year. They need to blow out the rest of their teams um, and then go into the sec championship game and probably dominate Georgia. If they want to make it, I don't think just beating Georgia will be enough at this point. Yeah. Good road win. Cause it was also a trap game after a big emotional win. Right. So let a letdown on the road and the, the cold weather they were complaining about. They should try playing uh, in a Big Ten stadium in the college football playoff. Maybe that'll happen in a couple of years. Uh, Quick takes from other games across college football week 11. Well, TCU passed a big test with flying colors while Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Tennessee all played relatively manageable opponents and did what they needed to do to varying degrees. Tennessee put up a bunch of points as always. Michigan played very, very slow, um, but 
grinded out a win against Nebraska, I think 34 to three or yeah, 34 to three. The game was never in doubt, but you know, people could say that Michigan should put them away more. Ohio state did the same thing with Indiana that Tennessee did to Missouri. And then Georgia, I was considering putting them in best road wins because Mississippi state was ranked, but I just don't think Mississippi state is actually that good of a team. Um, so I don't really want to put them in that category just for that. Um, and Georgia didn't necessarily dominate them either. So they played well, they played fine. They are still the number one team. Uh, but all these teams, those top, well, not top four because TCU is there instead of Tennessee, but actually the top five all played very well this weekend. Um, obviously then you had Oregon and LSU kind of get tripped up there, but, uh, the top five staying solid as they should. Okay, well, that uh, wraps up our look back at college football for the week. Let's move on to NFL. What were the best games of Week 10 in the National Football League? The Packers beat the Cowboys in overtime 31-28. to Aaron Rodgers saw a resurgence by throwing to Christian Watson and generating a lot of move from the run game this weekend, finally, as they should have been doing all season long. Uh, then you had the Lions, who beat the Bears 31-30. to That was a very odd but very close game. The Lions came back from I mean it was tied at the half but the Bears put up 14 third quarter points to uh take a 14 point lead into the fourth and then the Lions outscored the Bears 21 to 6 in the fourth quarter to claim that victory despite Justin Fields doing all he could uh for the Bears and I think he became I don't know the exact numbers but I believe it was the first quarterback ever or the first player ever uh to have multiple rushing touchdowns, multiple passing touchdowns and 150 yards rushing, which is just ridiculous. Um but then I already talked about this game so I won't talk about it in length again, but the Vikings beat the Bills 33 to 30 in overtime. I'm not describing the game, I'm not doing play by play of it. You just have to go back and watch it for yourself. Uh turn on the last 2 minutes and like 30 seconds of the game and that's all you need to see. Well, last 2 minutes and 30 seconds of regulation and then overtime and that's all you need to see. Just a crazy back and forth game. Uh, starting with the Vikings making a fourth quarter comeback, they were down at the half 24 to 10 and came back to tie the game at 30, which they already did. Well, came back to take the lead, actually, 30 to 27, and the Bills came back to tie it. But the 13 unanswered points that the Vikings had against the Bills defense was very, very impressive. And they have cemented themselves as one of the top teams Uh of the NFL this year. And by the way, now that the Eagles, which we're not going to talk about this game, so I'll mention it now. Now that the Eagles have lost to the Commanders, which they did on Monday Night Football last night, the Vikings are tied with the Eagles for the best record in the league. And you could make the argument that they're the best team in the league now that they've beaten the Bills. Um, and now that the Eagles looked a little shaky this weekend. Uh, but then you had the Buccaneers kind of getting back on track, kind of not really. I don't really know how to describe this game. 21 points against the Seahawks is really not motivating so i didn't put them in impressive teams but it's not bad either um they were up 21 to 3 and the seahawks scored 13 unanswered just to make it kind of interesting uh but you know it still wasn't an impressive enough performance you'd like to see the defense actually close out the game rather than make it a nail biter um but you know they got the win that's all that matters and then the colts beat the raiders 25 to 20 um not really sure how jeff saturday became the coach of the Colts, but now that he's there, let's shift our attention to the fact that Josh McDaniels is still the head coach of the Raiders because what is he doing with this team? This team is horrible. They upgraded in the offseason and got so much worse, which makes absolutely no sense for so many different reasons. Uh, but especially on talent alone, they just should be better than, well, 
first of all, they should be way better than two and seven, but they should be better than they were last year. And they are exponentially worse. It's actually impossible how bad they've gotten, but the Colts are able to pull out that win with Matt Ryan back at the helm. Now four, five, and one, frankly, still have a shot at making the playoffs. Yeah, the Vikings, by the way, not just that game, they've been involved in some crazy games over the years. So uh, anyway, a lot of a lot of entertainment value there. Uh, let's move over from the Raiders, who are not impressing you at all, to the most impressive teams of last week in the NFL. I was impressed in the 40 or in. Yeah, with the 49ers defense because of their second half performance against the Chargers. The offense was kind of shaky at times. They just didn't execute well. But it, it, honestly, it was a typical game where Jimmy G is the quarterback to be quite honest uh but they won 22 to 16 against a good opponent uh they were losing 16 to 10 at the half and did not give up a single point in the second half which is why I was really impressed with the 49ers pretty much the Chargers entire offense was throwing checkdowns to Austin Eckler um and then occasionally one big play to DeAndre Carter and that was pretty much the whole game for them and then once the second half started the 49ers kind of made sure they didn't give up any more big plays let let the Chargers get a few passes to Eckler but didn't let him get many yards on them. And then some of those were overthrows and then Herbert got injured for a little bit. And the 49ers just did a great job of stopping the chargers from being productive in this game. And then you had the Steelers who beat the saints 20 to 10 also impressed with their defense uh, only gave up 10 second quarter points. And that was it for the entire game. And then came storming back in the fourth quarter after being tied 10, 10 at the half and 10, 10 going into the fourth quarter to take a 20 to 10 lead. And obviously win the game. And then finally, I was impressed with the Titans because despite playing close against a, uh, you know, not great team uh, in the Broncos, they won without running for once because obviously that's what they've been writing for years now in terms of their big production. Uh, but finally this weekend, they really didn't have great rushing stats. Uh, Derrick Henry only managed 19 carries for 53 yards but Tannehill was just effective enough to win the game 17 to 10. All right. Any other quick takes from across NFL week 10 action? Nope. Okay. Then let's move on to our first look at NBA action of the year. Uh, and let's start on a downer. Who are the five most disappointing teams so far in the NBA? Well, I think this is quite obvious to be quite honest, uh, at least for the first three. The Lakers are the most disappointing team. They're three and 10. There are various reasons as to why that's going on, but it definitely has to be them. They definitely have to be on that list. Uh, then you got to go with the Nets who are six and eight on the season. Same kind of reasons, you know, I mean, all the talent in the world, but can't do anything with it. The Warriors are going to be on here because they are only six and eight to start the season. That is not what they're supposed to be doing. I'm putting the Timberwolves on here because of the fact that, that they upgraded in the offseason, kind of like the Raiders, actually, a team that was borderline in the playoffs, played well against a good team in the playoffs, um, and then upgraded in the offseason, but has not shown that so far in their performances. And then finally, I'm going with the Bulls because, look, there needs to be one other under 500 team that was supposed to be good this year. If you look at some of the teams that are under 500, you know, you have the Spurs, you have the Thunder, you have the Rockets. We knew those teams would be bad. The Pistons, the Hornets, the Magic. It's not really surprising. Um, the fact that the Bulls are outside of the playoff picture this early with, you know, the Washington Wizards in, in as the fifth seed and uh, Indiana at the nine seed and New York at the 10, it is a disappointing season for the Bulls. But, you know, it's so early in the season and I don't really have many takeaways from any of these teams just because of the fact that, uh, you know, it's still early. 
Uh, but we'll talk more about these teams week to week later in the season when, uh, you know, football season is over because we're getting into the very important games of the football season, both in the NFL and in college football, especially in college football. But for now, we're just doing quick little reviews of both leagues in basketball. But yeah, that that's the reason why I have all those teams on there. Teams that are all, all, all these teams have in common are that they were either in the playoffs last year or definitely should have made the playoffs last year. Uh, and they're having horrible seasons to start. And then the Lakers, obviously, even though they were already not a playoff team last year, to go three and 10 is just ridiculous. They're way better than that, no matter no matter which way you slice it in terms of their talent. Okay, well, let's move to some teams that uh, are doing something positive here at the opening of the NBA season. Most impressive teams. The Jazz tore everything down and went into rebuild mode and got better. They're tied for the number one seed in the West with Portland and Denver. Uh, and we'll get to one of those other teams in a second. Denver, not surprising, being up there when you consider that they were the three seed last year without Michael Porter uh, Jr. and without Jamal Murray and now have both of them back. But Portland, who I'll actually move on to now at nine and four, both of these teams look, I mean, Portland's not necessarily in a rebuild because they still have Damian Lillard, but they did trade away CJ McCollum in the middle of last year, kind of went into rebuild mode in the same way that the Jazz did by giving up Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert in the offseason, but they're still performing well um, and somehow tied atop the West. Can't really tell you why, but good for both of those teams. Then you have the Cavs, who are 8-5. and five. Yes, they have an improved roster. Yes, they have Donovan Mitchell on their team, but they did lose some of their depth in those trades, and I still wouldn't expect them to be fourth in the East, and there was a point where it was just Milwaukee and Cleveland uh, at the top, so uh, literally in the middle of last week, so... They definitely deserve to be on that list. And then speaking of Milwaukee, uh, I have them at fifth, but right above them is the team that currently leads the East, the Boston Celtics at 11-3, and three, despite losing Ime Odoka. They've won seven games in a row, um, and they've just played a great season. I, I would put them higher, but they were in the NBA Finals last year, so it doesn't really feel fair to put a team that was in the Finals ahead of other teams who were leading their conferences when – they were either not in the playoffs at all. Actually, all of those teams were not in the playoffs except for the Jazz, but the Jazz obviously went into rebuild mode. Um, and then you have the Bucs who are 10-3 and three in sec at second in the East. They deserve credit for doing that too, though. You could argue maybe putting the Hawks here or the Wizards here at 9-5 and five or 8-6 and six for either of them. Um, but, you know, these are the teams that I went with instead. All right, that wraps up our look, our quick look at the NBA. Patrick mentioned he'll get more detailed as the college as the uh, college and pro football seasons wind down. Uh, so similar, let's similarly let's take a quick look at uh, the first week of college basketball action, starting with uh, some close games. Well, number fourteen TCU beat Arkansas Pine Bluff seventy three to seventy two. This was a sign of things to come for TCU as they barely scraped by against a team that they should be that they should be miles better than. Um, and then Providence beat Ryder sixty six to sixty. There's an interesting dichotomy between these two teams because they both made it to the same round of the NCAA tournament. One team entered as a five seed and one team, or actually as a four seed, and one team entered as an eight seed. But all of a sudden, actually, no, Providence did make it further than TCU. What am I even saying? Yeah, Providence made the Sweet 16. TCU lost in the round of 32 to Arizona. But all of a sudden, an eight seed that barely lost to a one seed that started struggling at the end of the year gets placed in the top 15 while a four seed that obviously lost some talent, but not all of it is unranked and under the radar to start the season. There were some issues already with that, even though I also believed in the TCU hype. And then, well, it came crashing down later in the week, and I'll get to that in a second. Georgetown beat Coppin State 
99 and 89 in overtime to snap a 21 game losing streak. Uh, still ridiculous that this team went to overtime. Let's see them play a real team, not a great team, but they are playing Northwestern today in the Gavit games. So they will be playing a major conference opponent. Obviously, Northwestern supposed to finish maybe 10th or 11th in the Big Ten this year. And maybe that's even a little bit generous. Uh, but, you know, it's still a better team than Coppin State. So we'll see what Georgetown's really made of tonight. Uh, then number 22, Michigan beat Eastern Michigan, the mixtape squad, 88 to 83. Uh, Imoni Bates and Noah Farrakhan were going off in this game as they did in high school, but haven't done in college whatsoever as you know, why they're at Eastern Michigan, uh, but Michigan was able to deal with that, deal with that, uh, that hot streak by those two players and still win the game. Number two, Gonzaga beat Michigan state 64 to 63 on an aircraft carrier in San Diego. So two weird Friday night games for three teams from Michigan. Uh, but Gonzaga staying close to Michigan State was kind of surprising, but that's really credit to Michigan State, not anything against Gonzaga. Then number 14 TCU beat Lamar 77 to 66 for their second disappointing performance, but it gets worse and I'll get to that later. Number 19 San Diego State beat BYU 82 to 75. BYU is supposed to have kind of a down year. So this is not necessarily an impressive performance by San Diego State, but still a good win regardless. Uh, BYU beat Idaho State 60 to 56 is what I was talking about when I was saying that BYU is not that great. And then finally, Penn State beat Butler 68 to 62 in the closest game of the Gavit game so far. OK, let's move to some uh, big upsets in college basketball last week. Wyoming entered the season as the Mountain West Conference favorites, most likely Southeast Louisiana beat them by 476 to 72. What's even more embarrassing than losing to Southeast Louisiana if you're Wyoming is losing to FGCU if you're USC. They lost by 13. Then FGCU would lose to University of San Diego, so it's not like FGCU was good. It means USC is bad. UC Davis beat Cal 75 to 65, and in case you're wondering if UC Davis is good, they lost to Loyola Marymount later in the week, so no, they're not good either. Colorado beat number 11, Tennessee, 78 to 66. Is Colorado good? No, they lost to Grambling State in their opener. Then you have the two, the, the two most disappointing teams that are both in the ACC, Louisville and Florida State. Louisville lost to Bellarmine and Wright State by one each game. That team sucks. Florida State lost to Stetson by nine, then lost to UCF, then lost to Troy, and they're now 0-3 on the season. They're bad. Uh, moving on to another team, Sam Houston State came up from D2 to beat Oklahoma 52-51. to Wagner beat Temple to start the season 76-73. to And then Temple got their revenge by beating number 16 Villanova of all teams, 68-64. UC Irvine beat number 21, Oregon, 69 to 56. Uh, so I guess the Big West is better than Pac-12 this year. And then Northwestern State, to cap off TCU's disappointing week and a half, beat number 15, TCU, 65 to 64. TCU is not good. I, I, I'm done with this team. They're not good at all. They will be maybe at the bottom of my tournament uh, predictions next week. And then FAU beat Florida 76 to 74 to cap off the Florida embarrassments um, and also teams that, yeah, teams from Florida. Wow. Uh, maybe some teams can write the ship as the season goes on. Um, but like, like in football, the, some of the ACC teams are looking pretty weak. All right. That wraps up our look at college football, college basketball for the week. As I mentioned, college football there. Uh, it also wraps this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 22nd. 